Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is mental toughness. Yeah. And it's important because it's so essential, but it's also important because oftentimes we don't see it happening a whole lot or even recognize its value. Yeah. One reason you and I and and growing leaders as a whole became so consumed with this issue is because when we look at the research, I mean the we when we look at the do a meta analysis on the research, this idea of mental toughness, uh call it grit, yep. mm-hmm. call it resourcefulness and resilience plays such a big role, actually a bigger role than intelligence and talent yeah. uh, in the grand scheme of things. So, and yet those are the things we emphasize yeah, so often. that's right. And I would say talent and intelligence have less, they're less apt to develop in our life than grit is. Mm-hmm. In other words, your IQ doesn't change a whole lot, yep. right? I yep. mean, you want to grow and learn and read books, or you want to become as talented as possible, but I'm never going to play third base for the Boston Red Sox. I'm never going to, you know, stop laughing. Would you stop laughing, please? <laughs> Good grief. What if you started a career for the Red Sox right now? That'd be awesome. Yeah, Tim was going to lead the podcast today, but uh, he's, he's playing pit- third base. Yeah, he's on, playing on, third yeah, base today. Right. Anyway, so. uh, here's why I say this. In fact, let me just whet your appetite, listeners. Uh, research psychologist Angela Duckworth did a great thing for us. She created a grit scale where mm-hmm. she can actually measure grit levels mm-hmm. in old and young, but she started with students. And she discovered when she began to work with West Point, Uh, the U.S. Army Military Academy up on the Hudson River in New York, and then started looking at the data results for spelling bee winners, so children in K-12 education who are winners of the spelling bee. She found out that uh, grit played a bigger role in their success than intelligence or talent. Love it. I'm just going to be quiet for a minute. I want you to think about that. So the people that went through uh, Beast Barracks, they call it at, at, at West Point, there's this huge entry-level, can-you-even-make-it-here experience. Yep. They thought, well, here's the people that were the smartest. They'll, they'll get through. Yep. Nope. Yep. Some of them didn't get through. Oh, here are the people, the most talented. Oh, my gosh, they're D1 athletes. Biggest, fastest, strongest. Yeah. yeah. They didn't all make it. The people that were more apt to make it percentage-wise were the weak or, the, or maybe the not-so-intelligent that just had grit. Yep. I would bet almost any employer that's hiring would go, sure, I'll take a person with grit. I want that person. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I want that person. So we're just simply saying, what if we talk about for the next several minutes some items that would actually help you, listener, and the students in front of you develop this thing called mental toughness. Absolutely. And we actually thought it was so important. We wrote an ebook about it, and I'll talk about that later on. Uh, But one of the reasons it it needed the amount of space that we give it, you know, a topic in an ebook is because of where this problem came from, right? Uh, The culprit behind this problem is not the kids, right? They're products of the world they grew up in, the world that we, the adults, created. So would you talk about that? Yeah. So about 15 years ago, um, I started noticing that teachers and coaches and sometimes even parents, were starting to talk negatively about kids. Hmm. And, of course, it started way longer than 15 years ago. I mean, Socrates said, disrespectful, lazy kids in my day, you know. (laughs) But um, I started noticing, and I started thinking, wait a minute, aren't they products of your making? Yeah. Um, So we were talking about those lazy millennials, and, Andrew, that's part of your generation. Mm -hmm. But um, I started thinking, wait a minute, aren't we the culprits? So I think... That we not the, we're not the whole problem, but we might be at least one of the culprits behind mentally fragile 
kids. Yeah. So we reduced our kids' ability to build grit because we resourced them so well. Yes. Oftentimes, the, the narrative was there was a parent that had grew up, uh, maybe grew up in a very low-income home and thought, I want to do better for my children. Yeah, I want well, to give them, a, give them what I didn't have. Or that's whatever. exactly right. And that's a good goal. But when you get to that place and you give them the iPhone on the first day it comes out, that iPad or, or whatever it is, and you've resourced them super well, well, pretty soon now, they don't have to be resourceful. You've resourced them. Yeah. Does that make sense, everybody? Yeah, yeah. So um, all I'm saying is I want us to consider, are we part of the problem? Research states that kids are actually anti-fragile when they're born. In fact, there was a book called Anti-Fragile. Think just for a minute, listeners, about toddlers. When that baby is born and he or she begins to learn to walk, do you know how they learn to walk? By falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up. And you look at that poor kid and they got bruises all over. You're about to call Child Protection Agency, you know, because they've they've got bruises and cuts. But you know that kid keeps getting back up because this is so fun. They're naturally anti-fragile. We start making them fragile in a well-intentioned effort to, I don't want any more bruises on your body. Of course you don't, Mama. But And I'm not arguing for bruises here. I'm just saying, can you see how it's counterintuitive? Yep. How do we balance showing love, but yet at the same time saying, because I love you, I believe it's in you to yep. do this thing, yep. To, yep. to build this, this, uh, this grit and, and so forth. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of the, the, the mess—think about the messages that things are sending, right? If I face the challenge and overcome it on my own, the message is, I have resilience and I can overcome challenges. Uh-huh. If I face a challenge that mom rescues me from, yeah. the message that gets through is, if I face something hard, I need mom's help. Yes. Uh, and that's really what's happening is we're be- we're building over time this sort of habitual belief in kids that I don't have what it takes. I need an adult to help me get through that obstacle. Yeah. So the big looming question is, how much is too much? How much can kids handle where, where they don't get paralyzed by fear or yep. emotionally, you know, they get emotionally paralyzed. And and how much help do we give? Is there a little help, a lot of help, or whatever? Uh, it's only when people cross a certain mental line that they learn helplessness. This is a term called learned helplessness. It's a psychological term. We learn helplessness when we get so far past that line that we go, no matter what I do, it doesn't make a difference. I can't unscrew the peanut butter jar. It's too hard. I can't take this math test. It's too hard. Uh, I can't, you know, do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, or whatever. Um, I believe we must help kids draw this line for themselves. Mm. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I believe we, we must help kids draw this line for themselves. Unfortunately, in today's society, we've drawn the line for them. We said, I'll bring your backpack in that you forgot this morning, Johnny. Yep. Now, that's nice, but Johnny learns, great, mom's going to rescue me. I don't have to remember things. Yeah. Uh, and again, I don't want to oversimplify, but... Far too often, we've been the culprit because we're afraid they're going to learn helplessness and they're going to give up completely. I don't want my child to give up completely. So we draw the line too close to safety and too far from stretching. So listeners, consider the statement. I believe I'm at my best as a human being when I serve or labor somewhere between stretched and overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Now, you're smiling because I remember saying this one time to a group of athletic directors, and somebody from USC said, wait, did you say stressed and overwhelmed? No, I didn't say stressed. I, we are on, we're like rubber bands. We're only useful when we're stretched. Yeah. And I don't need to be overwhelmed. So somewhere between I'm really having to push myself to get this math thing done or this gymnastics thing done, 
so I don't want to get to overwhelm, but I've got to be stretched. Yeah. So um, my theory is I wrote a blog uh, back, oh gosh, 10 years ago this year. Yeah. Uh, called Three Huge Mistakes We Make Leading Kids. And it got 1.2 million shares. Yeah. I'd click on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were a kid back. No, yeah, I'm, just yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. You were probably in college. In I, 2011 is when I graduated, actually. Ah, so, there you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here were the three big mistakes that I talked about. This is a decade old, but I think it may be as true today as ever. Yep. We risk too little, we rescue too quickly, and we rave too easily. Yeah. All are well-intentioned. We, me- we rave because we want to praise our kids. We rescue because we don't want our kids to be without. And we risk too little because I don't want them to break their leg on yeah. the b- bicycle out yeah. there. So... Um, <laughs> Did you notice that Tennessee accent? Yeah, there? I don't know. It comes out. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm back home in Nashville when you do that. I'm sorry. Okay. So what we need to do to build grit is to not do those three three mistakes. Yeah. We, we, we must let kids struggle a bit to grow. Absolutely. Well, I feel like the case is made for this, and I'm, I'm sure everybody listening to this is nodding their heads along. The question prevailing uh, right now is, what do we do? Well, that's exactly why we wrote this ebook. You've got eight strategies. They're almost, you would say they're secrets, but they're really some yeah. of them are very basic, yeah, right? They are. They're just things we have to be disciplined about doing. And if we could do some of these things, we might be able to uh, push them from that sort of mental fragility over yeah. to mental tough. So listeners, we're going to give these eight to you really quick because we've already used enough time. But uh, we'll do each one of these in a couple of minutes. But if you want to go deeper, uh, we have a, ver- a free ebook that yeah. we're going to offer to you if you'd like to go deeper and just really build out these strategies. There are eight ideas. So Andrew, I'm going to let you kind of Take us through these eight ideas, and I'll illustrate each one along the way. Sounds great. All okay. right, so the first one is wait on something you want. Yeah, so waiting is a strategy. Waiting is something good for our emotional muscles. Our brains have an incredible capacity for critical thinking and problem solving, but we get lazy due to the fast-paced, quick-click, convenient world we live in today. Yeah. If I have Siri, Alexa, and, I don't know, Google at my disposal... I wait maybe two seconds, you know, yeah. and so I, my delayed gratification is not really developed. So just having your child or your student learn to wait and actually talk about this. Say, I'm not wanting you to wait because I'm a mean-spirited adult. I want you to learn yep. to build patience. There's something, it's a virtue. Patience Absolutely. is a virtue. Absolutely. So we are conditioned for immediate gratification in our world today and would rather quit than wait. Uh, so learning to wait on something we really want is work, it's like working out in a gym. It's like lifting, <laughs> here's this, waiting is like weights, you know? Yeah. It's lifting weights, causing your brain to say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Now, Andrew, I've said this so many times, you're probably mad at me for saying this, but when your dad and uh, my, I, our generation, were growing up, we had a world that we had to wait more. Yes. Not always. It was better than 100 years ago, but, yeah. but 40 and 50 years ago, you just knew I had to wait three weeks on the package, not overnight. Yeah. I, I had, we'd had no microwave oven when I was 10 years old. We yeah. had to wait on the conventional oven. So we, this is something we do, just like going to a gym instead of um, harvesting wheat, which we did 100 years ago. Yep. Our new wheat harvesting is going to the gym and practicing like yeah. we're harvesting wheat. I'm saying, what if you practice waiting uh, by force yourself to wait on something you really want. Psychologists call this learned industriousness. Mm. So it's counter to learned helplessness. Few things cultivate mental toughness like active patience. 
uh, working while you wait for rewards. Absolutely. This is so um, uh, fascinating because I think whereas if you went back, as you were talking about 40, 50 years ago, uh, you would be hard pressed to find something that was fast, right? Yeah. Today, you're hard pressed to find something that's slow, <laughs> it's so which true. is why we're now having to be active in our intervention to yeah. create slow things, to yeah. make a student wait. And yet what we know is that's such a valuable yeah. life skill. So, Absolutely. All right, number two, talk positively to yourself. So I don't know if this sounds crazy or new age or hyper-spiritual or whatever, but I just believe there's something good about positive affirmation. Um, I, <laughs> Andrew, I told my wife yesterday, she hears me talking to myself sometimes. She goes, why do you talk to yourself? And I did say this. I said, because I'm self-employed. I'm having a staff meeting right now. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Uh, so um, a friend uh, explained to me how he lost 40 pounds. And he said, I stopped listening to myself. And I started talking to myself. Mm. Now, I know what he meant by that. It's not yeah. that you don't listen to your body. I'm a diabetic. I need to listen to my body and my, my blood sugars. But when you start saying, wait a minute, I'm not going to listen to my lazy flesh that says I want to sleep all day. Yeah. I'm going to get up and do the thing I need to do. I know this sounds like old school, and maybe it is, but to talk positive to yourself. You know what D- Division One athletes do before competitions, at least the ones I've interviewed at the University of Alabama, mm-hmm. Ohio State, uh, UPenn? Uh, they'll they'll say right before they go on, I got this. Yeah, that's positively talking to yourself. I got this. Yeah, I practice. I work hard. I've eaten well. I can do this. All I'm saying is find a way for yourself to say to yourself, I I've got this. Positive self talk is one of my most is one of the most important skills. Lolly Daskal, president of Lead from Within, wrote, and I quote her: "To develop and maintain the kind of mental toughness success requires." It's crucial to keep your thoughts and self-talk positive and avoid habits that lead to negativity and unhealthy behaviors. It's, I know this makes sense, but don't forget to find phrases that you're going to use over and over and over that just reminds you, you can do this. It's just a reminder to the students that we're leading that if they're looking for encouragement, they may be hard-pressed to find it in the world outside of themselves. It's just not, our world is not naturally built to encourage you, which means you've got to start building a habit at early ages of encouraging yourself. I got this. Because you're probably going to be in a situation sometime soon where there isn't going to be anybody to say that to you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Let's move on to number three. Persist working on a project even when it's hard. Okay, so if you're a teacher, you're a parent, you're going to get kids, I guarantee it, at some point to complain, this is too hard. Yep. It's the number one phrase a few years ago we heard teachers report from their students. Yep. They kept saying, this is too hard. So I would say, if it were me, I would stand in front of that classroom and I would say, students, I know for many of you, this just feels like it's too hard. It's like over your heads. I'm t- I, tell you, it t- I tell you it's not. I promise you it's not. And what I'm going to say now is, if you'll persist, you're going to build more than math skills or social study skills or reading skills. You're going to build a skill set or an emotional muscle that you're going to need when you're a grown-up. So tell them you've got to persist when you're working hard. Uh, this is something I talked to my own kids about as they were growing up. We embrace this definition for discipline. Here's our definition. Doing what you need to do even when you don't feel like it. Yeah, I love it. This is huge. All four of us, mom and dad, and then our two kids uh, in our family would choose a project, often a weekly project, that we didn't like, and we would uh, complete it daily. 
over and over and over. And then at the end of the week, we're actually, it was on Monday, the next week was Habitude Night. We would say, okay, how'd you do on your project? Well, five out of seven days, I did it. I sweep my room or, I, or the garage or whatever. I clean my room. Yeah. And, uh, but it got to be a, a competition. And not just a competition. It was a positive reinforcement of what we knew we needed to do. Um, it often took a project out of the mundane where it didn't seem very klitsy or sexy or whatever. And it seemed like, okay, now this is kind of fun to see if I can do it. We did this on purpose. There's something about pushing our lazy bodies to do the opposite of what they want that helps us lead ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, doing hard things is really, really good for the soul. I love it. Yeah. I, and what the the sort of key here feels like to me, it is it, it's about acknowledging it's a hard thing, yeah. right? So where you have to say, hey, we're intentionally facing a hard obstacle. Yeah. We're doing it on purpose. And then the other thing I feel like you guys did was gamify it. And I see so many yeah. great teachers doing this too, yeah. where it's it's almost like the thrill of doing a hard thing all of a sudden becomes the focal point of like, oh man, I'm doing a hard thing. What if I, what if I succeeded? What if I overcame it? Yeah. What would that be? What would that teach me about myself? And I love that sort of gamification yeah. playing into doing yeah. a hard thing because not only are you teaching discipline, but you're also teaching how exciting it is to face a hard yeah. challenge and overcome that thing. Absolutely. All right. Number four, memorizing important information. So listeners, you, you got to know the data shows that some, there's something about memorization that just, just builds grit. Hmm. You might have had it back in the day, but we have to memorize less today, yep. typically because it's all in our phone or in some smart device in the cloud somewhere, yep. and we just don't have to. We don't have to memorize phone numbers. So thanks to Google, Wikipedia, and smartphones, we don't have to recall information that we once memorized, such as phone numbers, as I just mentioned, or quick facts. Um, so, I, Andrew, you and I have talked about how we have a Google reflex in our day, all of us, adults yep. and kids. So studies show we don't retain information as well as we once did because we subconsciously know it's stored on a device. Yep. Further, uh, thanks to the ongoing stimulation from our portable devices, we're more apt to remember entertaining facts than facts that actually benefit us. Uh, more, more Americans can tell you what Kim Kardashian is doing this week than, than what uh, you know, our president's doing or the Congress is doing yep. or whatever. We yep. just, uh, it's just silly how, we, how, we, how we've done this. So what if we conditioned our brain to memorize some important information, even if we could look it up, for the sake of building mental toughness? Like the restaurant waiter who deliberately hears your order and remembers it without writing down. You know what she's doing? You know what he's doing? They're just getting their brain to stay sharp when they could have written down those six orders, yep. you know, from the family or whatever. Yep. So I'm just saying, what if we made this something we do and it just built our memories, help build our toughness? I love it. You know, there's a, a joke I often talk about being a part of the generation that got cell phones uh, as we were growing up, rather yeah. than it, them being ubiquitous with us growing up, is the only phone numbers I have memorized in my head today, other than my wife's phone number, are the ones that I knew before I got my cell phone oh at 16 years old. So I can still tell you my mom's number. I can still tell you, but I can't tell you people that I call almost every day yeah. now because I don't have to, right? Yeah, but so I think true. this is an important uh, thing for us to first acknowledge and yeah. then to say, we got to do something about this. Yeah. All right, number five. Read a long book. Okay, so this may or may not go over well, but I have found (laughs) even at my age, for me, when I see a big book that I mean is over 300 pages, that's I consider that a a pretty big book. Yeah, I would say I'm going to read through this because I want to learn, but also I want to read through this because I want to keep my brain strong. It's a muscle I want to work out. The digital world has changed our reading habits. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying it's changing with 
Kindle and e-books and so forth and so on. In many ways, it's made us lazy. Uh, we now consume more information per week than we did two generations ago, but we do so in shorter spurts. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, and usually on screens and websites instead of through books. We're conditioned to read 140 characters on a tweet. Yep. Uh, we feel as if we understand something when we've digested only a soundbite or we read a meme. Yep. You know, on or a it. headline. Yeah, that's right. And then we move on. Uh, teens' attention spans, we said this before on a podcast, have shortened from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to about eight seconds today. Um, adolescents are reading fewer books for fun than they did 30 years ago. Mark Bauerlein taught us that in, mm -hmm. at, at Emory University. Uh, why should they uh, need to read with all the access they have on demand on Netflix or YouTube? So um, I, I, the question was, of course, rhetorical when, when we asked this, but reading at least 30 minutes a day, that's what I try to do at bedtime. I realize when I read 30 minutes a day, I can get through two books a month mm. at my speed. I'm not a fast reader, but and that just keeps that, mem that reading muscle, that grit muscle, uh, tough for what I need to do during the day. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this is certainly a challenge in the 21st century world because there's always another Netflix show, yeah, right? That's so right. So it, this is ultimately about discipline. And if we could challenge our kids and then hold them accountable, how'd yeah. you do uh, to do something like this? It might really go a long way. So I love it. Number six, practice mindfulness daily. All right. So I'm sure you've heard the word mindfulness, and it's either a turn on or a turn off yeah. for you. But mindfulness is a way to recover control of our thoughts. That's what I'm lobbying for. I'm not lobbying for uh, uh, this way to do it or Eastern mysticism or, or whatever. I'm just saying learning to meditate and take control of your thoughts is a good thing. Our thoughts wander. Wandering's not bad, but it's not disciplined. It's, yeah. it's, that's relaxing time. Yep. So um, many adolescents today uh, display little mental discipline because they merely react to external stimuli from their portable device, mind you, unlocking uh, their phone 80 or more times a day. Uh, mindfulness, the art of brief meditation, enables our minds to focus for a few minutes, quiet our thoughts, calm our emotions, and guide our thought processes away from all that noise and clutter around us. That's what I'm pushing for. Uh, there are countless apps available right now, Andrew, on, on our smartphones that can help us practice mindfulness on a daily basis, even just say five minutes a day. I'm going to be quiet, breathe, and, and think. Um, while the advantage is far more than mental discipline, the experience furnishes us with the ability to stay on top of our thoughts. It also offers the advantage of emotional stability when, when practiced regularly. I, I'm just for it. I yeah. love it. Well, mindfulness is an interesting topic because it's one of those things that was both the problem around it was caused by technology, and now technology is actually leading the solution yeah. to it as well. Yeah. Those same apps, that, that same smartphone that was distracting us before can now help us focus and yeah. relax and, and uh, you know, charge our minds in the right direction. So I really encourage somebody to, to get an app like that, encourage yeah. your students to do it as well. All right, number seven, we got two more. Pay attention to a program long past its engagement value. <laughs> okay, so I learned this, and I learned that it was helpful to me when my wife and I would be watching shows that she cared about more than I do. Can I say that? Okay. okay. She cared about more than I do. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to be with her, and we, we'd do things together. Or my kids, even, when they were teenagers or young adults, and yep. we watched something, and I could just tell, oh, my gosh, this is worthless to me. Mm -hmm. Okay? But I learned if I stay with it, just the art of staying with something far past the perceived reward of this is entertaining mm -hmm. or this will help me do such and such. Yep. It, it was just helpful. So 
I don't know if this makes sense to you listeners, but let's say you're in my shoes. You're watching a program, watching a show, doing something. You don't think it's helpful to you, but you go, I'm going to power through this for her or his sake. Uh, maybe, just maybe, it's like going to a weight room, a gym again, and you're building a skill set that just builds grit in the long run. I love it. I love it. And this is a really easy way to do this. But there are probably lots of things in your life that you're like, I kind of have to do this. I kind of hate doing this. It's my grandma's thing or whatever. And we, we could just push ourselves to keep doing things that we maybe don't necessarily enjoy. It could be a, a huge help. This is a true confession. But for me, for quite a few years, it was emptying the dishwasher. I don't really like it. Yeah. It's not mentally stimulating, but making sure all the forks get here, all the knives get here, get the cups up there. To, as simple as that sounds, just it's almost like calisthenics. Yeah. And I knew it was helpful for Pam, my wife. Uh, and I don't think I'm brilliant, but I'm just saying just making myself do that, it's good for me. I love so. it. All right. Very last one. Yep. Build a moral compass and set standards inside of you. Okay, so building a moral compass, you might wonder, what in the world does that have to do with grit and, and, and mental toughness? I think it has a lot to do with it. So I, people get derailed, quite frankly, in their pursuit of excellence by compromising their beliefs. Uh, when the going gets tough, they begin to buy into the idea that they can fudge on a standard or, you know, on a, or surrender a moral value they hold to be true. And they take shortcuts. We even use that term. I took a shortcut there. Yep, okay? yep. Uh, one of the clearest paths to building mental toughness, I believe, is the accountability that comes from a person's personal ethic or belief that will not let him or her surrender. It holds the person to perform at a high standard. Uh, in other words, uh, I grow mentally tough when I embrace a standard that's transcendent of me, and it acts as a plumb line. We talk about it around here, as a plumb line to keep me performing excellently. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I exchanged New Year's resolutions for something I called New Year's standards. I now set standards for myself. So it's not a resolution like lose 20 pounds. And when I lose 20 pounds, I go, check that off the list. Yep. It's maintain health. Yeah. That's a standard. Yeah. Blood sugars at this level, uh, exercise at this level. It's just better for me in terms of a lifestyle. So moral standards and uh, I'm sorry, moral values, moral compass, and then setting standards for yourself. I challenge you, go away from this recording and say, I'm going to make a list of standards I set for myself to live yep. by. That's yep. going to build grit. Goals are great. Standards are rare, I would say, in our world today. Well, Tim, thank you so much for walking us through those eight strategies. I know we've only scratched the surface of this. And so uh, if you're listening to, to this today, you can actually get this ebook for free. We're going to put the link in the show notes so you can check it out there. But I thought a really great way for us to close was actually for you to tell a story of a young woman that you heard about who is probably the living embodiment of mental toughness, if I have ever heard of somebody who is. She really is. And we put the story in the book. I really do recommend the book, folks. It's free. It's it's just going to fire you up and, and maybe give you some tools to teach to someone else. But um, there was a, a student living in Hong Kong. She's she's um, grew up there and uh, good parents and so forth. But she was um, a student that would you could easily define as uh, disabled or, uh, yeah, she was just in a tough spot. So her name is Tsang Squan, and uh, she finished high school several years ago which was a feat in itself because she was severely hearing impaired, completely blind, and had limited feeling in her fingers. So even if she, she was blind, she, you know, she couldn't really read Braille as easy yeah. as a typical yeah. blind person. Uh, most young people with this level of disability would be happy just to graduate high school. Yep. 
This girl, however, <laughs> wanted to attend college. And due to her disability, she was not required to take the normal entrance exams, but she wanted no special favors. So Tsang's parents taught her that achievement would be harder for her than others, but they encouraged her not to shy away from the work, teaching her that every problem had a possibility inside of it. So she taught herself to read Braille with her lips. Unbelievable. Yeah. So she's pressing her lips against the dots of that Braille book and figuring out what each letter meant. Uh, it's crazy. Tsang read through entire books by touching her lips to the raised letters on the page. She took the exam, scoring in the top 5% of her class and gained two scholarships, one from Chinese University of Hong Kong, and she then won a scholarship for a master's degree from a top United Kingdom school, UK school. This is what happened when opportunity meets up with mental toughness. Yeah. And saying is just an illustration of she didn't have any privilege except I'm going to work at this and make this happen for me. Yeah. And I think this could be the story of any kid if they build a little bit of resilience. Yeah, imagine imagine if we were all leading kids who had this level of belief in themselves and this level of work ethic to say, I'm not going to give up. I don't want special treatment. I just want to utilize the gifts I feel yeah. like I have and hopefully make the world a better place. So what an incredible incredible story. Well, as we mentioned, we'd love for you to pick up this ebook for free. It is Eight Strategies for Building Mentally Tough Kids. We'll put the link in the show notes, but we'd love for you to grab that. Uh, if you're looking to actually build resilience, build life skills in the next generation, may we humbly suggest to you our Habitudes program. It is all about building life skills and, of course, resilience, mental toughness, uh, and some of those things are all a part of it for for sure. So uh, head on over to growingleaders.com slash S-E-L. That's growing leaders.com slash SEL. You can learn about our Habitudes program, Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. And in that program, we teach all of those life skills. It's a really fun, image-based, and conversational way to build these life skills in the next generation. If you haven't yet checked it out, I can't encourage you uh, any more than I am. It is absolutely a great tool that you can utilize to build these important life skills. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That gets the word out about what we're doing here. And you can actually quite literally get the word out by passing this podcast to a friend who you think might benefit from it. Please do that. Uh, if you want to connect with us online, we're at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all those different places. We'd love to connect with you there online. Uh, and then lastly, if you have ideas for this podcast, things you want us to talk about, people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for leading us today. Thanks for writing that ebook and for giving it away to everybody for free. I encourage you guys to go pick it up. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.